Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning, This week we are not feeding homeless because it's the last Wednesday of the month. But we get back on it next week. Was it fun last week? No. Yeah, it was. We almost died last week. No, we didn't. Dad made us cross train tracks. Yeah. Now we're running. But it was really fun. Light rail train tracks. Whatever you call it. Those, those actually work though. Like there's actually trains. Yeah, we're going to finish up that book probably in one study. One study sometime in January? Yeah. To be determined. Okay. The next men's study will be after the first of the year. We're going to go through the book Radical Prayer. I think the women are too. And then the next youth night will be after the first of the year. Should we get that going again, Savannah? Sign up for email updates once a week. Send out an email with what's going on or check out the website, thechurchne.org. So, with that, let's pray and we'll get started. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you, your will, your ways, and that you have a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. And you've called us each to a different plan and purpose. And just help us to understand more of what that means for each one of us. Help us to be a light and a witness to you this week. Speak to our hearts. Guide us. Grant us patience and wisdom that can only come from you. Help us to love those around us. Love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But also our neighbors. Those who don't believe, who don't know you. Help us to be a light and a witness to them. Lord, I ask that your words be spoken here this morning, not mine, that you would lead us and guide us through this study. It's in your mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter 14 of Romans, and I think we might make it through the entire chapter. So Romans chapter 14. Do you have your Bible up? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Is your notebook down? Mm-hmm. So Romans chapter 14, starting here in verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and do not argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. So this first verse here is the important. This is what's going to guide the rest of the study. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith and do not argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it is all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall with the Lord's help. They will stand and receive his approval. So we're told not to judge others for what they believe is right or wrong, if there's to eat certain foods or not to eat certain foods. And really this comes from, going to get more into it, eating meat. And there's meat being offered to idols and, and how that worked. And, and we'll go through and we'll explain that. But some believers felt it was okay to, to do this. And some believers felt it was okay not to do this. Whatever that is, that's many different things in many different ways. And what Paul's saying is, If it's not sinful, then don't argue about it. Don't spend time arguing or quarreling about how to worship God. 
what's right, what's wrong, what day do we worship, what day do we not. Um, so there's many different opinions out there, but the whole point is to point people to Jesus. And let's go to, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. And we're going to see what Paul, what else Paul had to say about this subject, but how he lived his life. How did this change his life? So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. First Corinthians nine nineteen. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like the Jews to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to that law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? And I would say to you, that was what Jesus explained to us, that there were really two commandments that Everything was summed up off of these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Paul's saying here. So continuing on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So Paul's saying that he tries to find common ground with everyone. That's his friends, that's his neighbors, that's his enemies, that's other believers. He finds common ground with everyone to point them to Jesus, to encourage them to have a relationship with Jesus. He's doing everything. He says he's willing to do anything, everything, short of sin, to bring others to come to know Jesus. And that's really how we should live our lives. Are we willing to do anything and everything short of sinning to show others who Jesus is, to point others to Jesus? Um, So Paul doesn't lord over the weak. He doesn't give them many requirements. He meets them where they're at in order to point them to Jesus. That's how he lived his life. That was what was important to him. We're going to jump one chapter over, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. (coughs) Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you want to know what the purpose of life is, it's right here. Why do we exist? For the glory of God. To bring God glory. When we put Jesus first... We are less likely to sin against other people. So when we put Jesus first, when serving him is, is the most important things in our lives, we're less likely to argue with other believers about little things, about what they eat or what day they worship or what the Bible says on the minors, not on the majors. The majors' things are salvation. Did Jesus come down fully human, fully God, Did he live his life here on earth? Was he born of a virgin? Um, Those are the the majors. Did he die? Did he rise from the dead three days later? Is he seated in heaven now? Those are the majors. Those are are non-negotiable. But everything else is negotiable. Everything else is not worth arguing over, is what Paul's saying. So, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it all for the glory of God. We are going to jump to Matthew chapter 7. 
and look and see what did Jesus say himself about this. This will set the, the context for the rest of the, the study here in, in Romans 14. We've heard what Paul said and how Paul lived his life different. But now let's see what did Jesus say about this. And a lot of what Paul's saying here in Romans 14 is in context to how do we treat other believers. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So what does Jesus say? Number one, don't judge others. What is Paul telling us? Don't judge others. And before we attempt to correct sin in someone else's life, we better correct the bigger sin in our own life, right? Before we get worried about what someone else is doing, we better worry about what we're doing. We're so quick to point at other people. Well, look what they're doing, right? Look at how they're handling it. Oh, but I'm not like that person. Oh, but everyone else did it. All these things we're looking to, to point at, but really we need to correct the sin in our own life first. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Don't worry about what your brother or sister are doing. Don't worry about your neighbor or your friend. Correct the sin in your own life first. And once you've done that, then maybe you'll be able to see well enough to correct the sin in their life. So, with that in context, let's go back to Romans 14. So Romans 14... Continue on here in verse 5. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than the other, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord. Since they give thanks to God before eating, and those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So God leads each of us to live different lives. He's called us each to a different purpose. He has a different plan for each of us. So for some, God may call them to work a job that requires them to work weekends. And for some, God may put on their hearts that they're never to work on Sunday. And the same God is leading both person, but he's leading them both for a different plan and a different purpose, that they're setting their life up to serve him in a different way. And we're not all called to serve him the same way, but what we're not to do is to judge the other person. Well, I believe that you should never work on Sunday. Sunday is God's holy day. Well, that's great. If God has convinced you of that and put that on your heart, then you should obey that. But that's not a commandment for everyone. The commandments for everyone are the ones we read about, that we're to love our neighbor, right? That we're to pray for our enemies. That's a commandment for everyone. But there's certain things that God puts on each of our hearts individually, and he leads us differently. And we're not to judge the other person when they're not doing what we think they should. Um, for me, this kind of comes as commercial TV. I know that I'm not to have commercial TV in our house. And kind of hard-headed so that was on my heart like years and years ago we got rid of cable tv and uh we bought those antennas those hd antennas I was going to put those up hung one up in the bedroom it fell down and broke put the one up on the roof up and it worked for a little while but it also broke but i remember once i got the one on the roof up the first day i'm going to go downstairs and work out in the morning before work I'm going to watch the news, see what's going on. And the very first news story on Channel 9 News was how the world would be better off without God. 
And so obviously God was leading me away from that because that was his plan, his purpose for my life. I didn't need that influence in my life. But if I were to sit here and tell everyone that if you watch commercial TV, you're in sin, that's not true. That's how God has led me, right? But I should stay away from that because it's not what he has for me. But if there's another believer that can watch the news and, and it's not sin in their life and it, it doesn't affect him in that way, well, that's great. That's between that other believer and God, right? So there's many things in our lives where I have been guided one way and someone else can be guided in an opposite way, still be believers and still be obeying God. And it's not a command. And that's where oftentimes I think this comes off the rails for people is they've been convicted of doing something a certain way to serve God. And now they feel that everyone else should do the same, have the same convictions. And that's not how it works. And that's what Paul is really saying here, that each of us have different convictions. God has led us and guided us in different ways. And we're not to judge the other person or the other people that are doing something different than we are. And not everyone has to do the same thing we are doing. So, God leads each of us to live different lives. And we're not to look over the fence and covet our neighbor's life or our neighbor's calling. And that's an important thing. And oftentimes we, we do that. We look over the fence and think, well, I, I should do that. Or I should be serving in that way. Or I should be free to do this or free to do that. And that's not, not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't get caught up with what other people are doing. We should focus on our own lives and what God has called us to do and be obedient in that. So, continuing on here, Romans 14, verse 7. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose to be Lord of both the living and of the dead. So when we become believers, we are to live our life for Jesus, not for ourselves anymore. That's the difference. We want to know if we're saved. Well, I once lived a life that was very selfish. It was all about me. But now I live a life and I'm more concerned with following Jesus than I am with my own selfish desires. There's a, a big contrast there. As believers, Jesus is Lord of our lives, whether we are here on earth, living on earth, or whether we've died and we're with him in paradise. That's what Paul's saying here. Over the living and the dead, he's talking about believers. Those who are alive now and those who, after we die and we're with him in paradise, he's still Lord over our life. We still serve him in paradise for eternity. Again, Christ died and rose again. That's a, the major item. There's no negotiating that. He was fully God, fully man. He died, paid the penalty for our sins, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, and we'll see what else Paul says about living for Jesus. How we're supposed to live our lives differently. Once... Our old lives are gone, our new lives have begun. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. If he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we're to live a new life that Christ has given us. We're to serve him. So continuing on, on here, 2 Corinthians 5.16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. 
So we're to stop evaluating people from a human point of view. Do we get that? We're stop evaluating people from a human point of view. We're stop. And I think what's really being said here is, can you look past the human point of view? Can you look past the homelessness? Can you look past the homosexuality? Can you look past the people with different political viewpoints? And can you see a soul in front of you that needs to know Jesus? Can you stop looking with this earthly point of view and start looking with an eternal point of view? Stop evaluating others with this human point of view. Stop judging others off of the book cover. Stop thinking of others as less than yourself because of the life that they're in. But look at them with an eternal point of view, that they have a soul, an eternal soul, that's either going to live eternity separate from God or live eternity in paradise with God. One or the other. And can we see that? Can we put down our prejudiceness, put down our preconceived notions, our judgments on others, and look at people with an eternal point of view that they need Jesus. They need salvation that can only be found in him. And then we're to realize that our old life, our old sinful way of living, our old selfish way of living, where we lived for ourselves, it was all about us. Whatever makes us feel good, do it. Whatever makes you happy, do it. And that we're to no longer live that old life, but to live this new life. This new life has begun. We've left the old behind. And when we leave the old behind, we're not to be like a dog that returns and eats its vomit, right? You're to leave it behind. So now let's go back to to Romans 14. Well, that's what it's like. We have this new life, but, but at times we think, oh, that old life was so much better. It's like the Bible compares it to a, a dog returning to its vomit. Because that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> gross. So, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. So why do you condemn other believers? Why do you look down on other believers? On another believer. So let me start over. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will confess and give praise to God. So all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So for the unbelievers, this comes in the the form of the great white throne judgment. That's where God judges where Jesus judges the believers, whether you believed in him or not. And those who didn't believe in him were cast into to utter darkness or, or cast away to hell. But for the believers, those who believe in Christ, we come before him at the famous seat of Christ. And this is where he hands out his rewards, where the things we did in faith are the things that we're rewarded for. And the things we didn't do in faith, we won't see but receive a reward for so when we're to give an account for our lives how do we live our lives were we faithful to the things god asked us to do the things that he's made clear in his word did we obey them and when we do when when we did we will be rewarded for that and that's what we receive that's the account that we'll give but it's not a account on condemning us or judging us in that form it's an account on judging the rewards that we'll receive So that's the two judgments that that come before. And at those judgments, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 45, which we can go there and and look at the the verse before and the verse after and put it all into context. We've been in Isaiah 45 quite a few times because this is where God calls out King Cyrus, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. but we'll get a little more context on what this this verse means. So Isaiah chapter 45, starting in verse 22. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name, I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will confess allegiance to me. The people will declare, The Lord is the source of my righteousness and strength. 
and all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. So every knee will, will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that will happen either one of the two judgments. The, the Bema Seat of Christ, that bending of the knee, confessing of the tongue has already taken place. That took place here on earth. And the, the great white throne judgment when people go before God at that, that at that point their tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and their knee will bow to him. But it will be too late. The determination will already be made that they'll spend eternity separate from God. That's what they wanted. That was the desires of their heart while they lived here on earth, was to spend their life separate from God. And God will grant them that request, that desire of their heart for all of eternity. But for those of us who receive Jesus, we've already bowed the knee, already confessed that he is God. And we will receive our rewards for the things that we did in faith before that Bema seed of Christ. So in... I find it interesting, the very last sentence here. And all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. So all those who are angry with him. So so many times you hear people say, I'm angry with God. God did this or God did that. And, and they've gotten it wrong. They're angry with God for something that God didn't do. For something the enemy did, right? I'm angry or I'm angry with God because he took my loved one away. He took them away too soon, right? Well, how do you know that that wasn't the better option for them, that God didn't save them from some suffering, some car accident, some awful tragedy that happens in their life. How do you know God didn't save them from that? So you can be angry with God, but in that day of judgment, when all the books and accounts are opened, you will come to him, you will bow your knee, you will confess that Jesus is Lord, and you'll be ashamed of that anger. You'll be ashamed of that resentment you had towards God, because you will realize at that moment you've got it all wrong. Make sense? So. Yes, and they'll be ashamed um, just because they allowed themselves to be deceived by the enemy. The enemy is going to deceive them, making them think, oh, God did all these things. God caused this. You should be mad at God for this. And those people bought into that lie. The enemy deceived them. And now that the truth is known, they'll be ashamed of of the decision that they made. So it would be far better to turn from that life now, here on earth, bow the knee, confess that Jesus is God, and receive your eternal rewards. So, back to Romans 14, verse 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So this is a, a, big, a big deal here. We're to live in a way that we're not going to cause another believer to stumble and fall. Each of us will be held accountable for the decisions we made. And for the believers that will come, the bad decisions we made, the things that we didn't do in faith... That comes with a lack of rewards. Not a condemning, but a lack of rewards. But not causing other believers to stumble um, when we should all have this no stumbling policy. So when we were going to church in Calvary Castle Rock, Dave for a long time had a policy with his staff that there was a no drinking policy. You couldn't drink if you were on staff. And then he realized that that wasn't biblically biblically correct the bible doesn't say you can't drink the bible says you can't get drunk when you get drunk that's when you're in sin but what the bible does say is right here and paul will make this clear here in a few more even more clear here in a few more verses but we're not to cause another believer to stumble we're not to do something that will cause them to stumble so instead of a no drinking policy dave said they went to a no stumbling policy that if you were on staff and you were at home and you wanted to have a drink at dinner, you wanted to have a glass of wine, there's the Bible doesn't say anything wrong against that. But if you're out in public and someone else sees you and knows that you're a believer, knows that you're a pastor, knows that you're this or that, and you cause them to stumble by your actions, then now you're in sin. And then now that's a problem. So,
we're gonna before we go, we're gonna go to First Corinthians chapter eight. And get a little better context. So this started off with eating meat or vegetables, is how Paul started chapter 14 off, right? And they're not to judge other believers. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is going to put it into a little more context as to why this was such a big deal for them. Because this meat was being offered, some meat was being offered to idols, some wasn't. So Paul's going to explain that. And before we move on to the next verse here in Romans, we're going to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to understand why this was such an issue. And then Paul, after that, is going to broaden it out, not just to eating meat for idols, but to everything we do. And we're going to keep in mind that we've been told, just here in verse 13, that we're not to stumble other believers. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting here in verse 1. Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers, really, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. So if you think you know it all, you really don't know anything. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship God many gods, and many lords. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything, and through whom we have been given life. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols As being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can we cannot win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with weaker consciences to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weaker believer for whom Christ has died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So we're going to take a minute here to go through this because these verse 10 and verse 12 are very important. So I'm going to read through verse 10. If you see other, if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in a temple of an idol, Won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? And because of your superior knowledge, a weaker believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against the other believer, so all you've done, all Paul's saying in this scenario, all this person has done or all you have done is you've eaten in a temple and someone has seen you doing it. You've eaten some meat that's been offered to an idol and someone's seen you. And Paul's explained before this that the idols are worthless. There is nothing, no power there, no nothing. So when people are worshiping or offering meat to idols, that meat is no different than any other meat. There is nothing there, right? But 
for the people that believe that there were idols and that the, those were real gods, that causes them to stumble. Even though they're wrong in their thinking, that still caused them to stumble. And Paul is saying here in verse 12, that when you sin against another believer by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, so you encourage them, but how did you encourage them? Because they saw you do it. And But when they see you do it, you're encouraging them to do the same thing. You're encouraging them to live in sin just by them seeing you. So that's an important concept, right? You may not have talked to them. You may not have told them this was okay. You just went and did something and they saw you do it. And now you've stumbled them. You've caused them to sin. Even though there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no power in this meat that's been offered to idols. There's no different than any other meat. There's nothing special about it because there is no power. There's no such thing as these other gods. They're all fake, right? But even though that's true, you've caused them to stumble by doing it yourself. So that's an important concept. Just by them seeing you, you've encouraged them to go on sinning. To live in sin. You've destroyed them. So that's an important concept to understand as we move forward. So then Paul sums it up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So Paul's saying it's so important that if this is going to cause somebody else to sin, I'll never do it again the rest of my life. And I don't want anyone to see me do that, so I won't eat meat again the rest of my life. Because it's that important that I don't cause another believer to stumble. Not because they're right in their theology and, and, or their study of God, but because they are the weaker brother and I don't want to cause them to stumble. And that's how important it was for Paul. So... With that context, with that in mind, we'll continue on here in Romans chapter 14, verse 14. I know that I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. So it's kind of what he said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that love is more important and that love is what builds the church. Love is what strengthens the church. And that when we live our own selfish desires, we're going to eat or drink something or act in a certain way that's going to cause another believer to stumble, then we are not living in love and that we are not putting Christ first. We're not living for Christ, living to be that light and witness. Remember what we're supposed to do. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, right? So, continuing on, Romans 14, verse 16. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try and build each other up. And I believe this harmony in the church is the whole church. So every church that claims to be a Christian church that claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over their life, every church of that is God's church, is the Christian church, is the whole church. And that we shouldn't be living this life of pointing at other churches the right and wrong things that they do or judging them but we should be loving them. We should be doing what we can to encourage them that all of these churches are Jesus' church. He is the head of every Christian church. And all Christians should live in harmony with each other. We shouldn't argue over little things. We shouldn't judge each other. By what we eat or what we drink or how we worship, what day or what time or what songs are sung or how the songs are delivered or any of that, right? That we're to love each other as Christians, all of us. We're all Christians, all serving the same God. 
So, Romans 14, verse 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it causes another believer to stumble. So verse 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it causes another believer to stumble. So it's better not to do any of this, not to drink wine, not to do anything that causes a believer to stumble. And while the eating meat is probably something that doesn't cause many people to stumble here in our culture, I would say that the drinking does. That when other believers, weaker believers, see a Christian drinking, that that can cause them to stumble. Maybe they struggle with alcohol, and now that they've seen that, that makes them think it's okay, and then they go back to to drinking and, and it's out of control in their life, right? And we've been over this. The, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. The Bible makes it clear you can't get drunk. And that when you get drunk, you're in sin. And remember, 1 Corinthians, you know, just by the example, in verse 10 there, the example of someone seeing you do it is the same as you encouraging them and them stumbling and falling, right? So you're living in sin just by them seeing you do it which is, is a, a big deal. And what it really comes down to is Jesus really Lord over your life. Are you really willing to serve him? What Paul's saying, are you really willing to put him first, put the love of others first, and deny yourself whatever freedom you may have? And that may, may even be the freedom to drink, right? While the Bible says it's okay to drink in and of itself, you can't get drunk, but you can't have a drink but if that one drink causes another believer to stumble, you are in sin. And are you really willing to give that up for the sake of that other believer? So remember how Paul says he was willing to do anything, live a life in any way, meet people right where they're at, all for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus, to strengthen them in their faith, to being a light and a witness. And we're always to be a light and a witness. And we always are a light. Well, we always are a witness. Now, whether or not we're a good witness to Christ or a bad witness depends on our actions, right? So we'll continue on here. Romans 14, verse 22. You may believe there is nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty, for doing something they have decided is right. So you may believe it's okay to have a glass of wine, but keep that between you and God. Don't, don't indulge in that in public with, at dinner um, at a restaurant where other believers may see you and a weaker believer may stumble because of it, right? Blessed are those who don't feel guilty. Blessed are you for not feeling guilty, for understanding what God's word says, but also blessed are you for, for obeying God. Denying yourself, picking up your cross, following Jesus. So continue on here in verse 23. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So if God's put on your heart not to do something, you go on and do it, you're in sin. If God's put it on your heart to live life a certain way, but you go and live life the opposite way, you are in sin. And what good are your convictions if you only follow them when it's convenient to you? If we don't follow our convictions when it's inconvenient, then they're not really convictions at all. They're just superstitions at that point. Does that make sense? Convictions are something that we want to live our life by, but we need to follow our convictions even when it's not convenient, even when it's not popular, even when everybody else is doing the other thing. So to finish our study, we're going to finish up in 1 John chapter 3. So we made it through all of Romans 14. But to sum things up here, 
In 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. So we know what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So we know what real love is, this agape love, and it is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could be whole, so that we could be in right standing with God, so that we could be saved, so that we could be set apart. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. He willingly went to the cross for our sins. He willingly paid the price for us, paid the price that we couldn't pay ourselves, that only he could pay. But he willingly did that. He willingly gave up his life. That is real love. That's the agape self-sacrificing love. And that when he did that, he defeated sin and death on the cross. And that now he has, we have eternal life because of him. Because of his love, his compassion for us. So shouldn't we have that same love and compassion for the rest of God's believers? For our other brothers and sisters? Shouldn't we be willing to give up our lives, our freedoms for them? To serve them. To honor God. To obey his commands. So continuing on here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. So, let us show others we are believers by our actions, is what he's saying here. Not by what we say, but by how we live our life. That's how we show people that we're believers. That we live a life different from the rest of the world. A life set apart to serve Jesus. A life to live for Jesus. A life sacrificing our own lives. Giving up our own desires to serve him. Let us live in a way that is way beyond this line of what's the, the line I have to do to, to, for salvation. What's this, the minimum I have to do. Let's live a life way beyond that in serving Jesus so that we can be confident when we stand before God. And I love this part. God is greater than our feelings. And at times, our feelings can be contrary to God's word. So what does that mean? Our feelings are not truthful at, at times, Right? God is greater than our feelings, though. And even though we feel this guilt, we shouldn't because we've been forgiven. God has removed it from our record, and God is greater than our feelings. Our feelings lie to us, but God never does. Right? I love that verse. So we'll finish up here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do things that please him so we studied this a little while ago but we can come before him boldly and with confidence and whatever we ask for in jesus name he'll give us so that's for believers that's when things obey him when things line up with his will when things line up with the bible when i pray and ask god to help me love my neighbor who may be difficult to love, will God help me with that? Absolutely. Every single time he will answer that prayer, right? So 1 John 3:23, and it is his com- and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ, number 1, and love one another, just as he commanded us. We're to believe in Jesus and love one another. We're to love God and love our neighbor. Those who obey God's commandments will remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So when we obey God's commands to love Jesus, to believe in Jesus, 
And when we obey his commands to love others, we will remain in fellowship with God. We will remain in that close walk with God. And being in fellowship, walking with God is the best place to be. But when we choose to sin, we separate ourselves from God. We're no longer walking in that close fellowship. When we choose to disobey our parents, to not love our neighbors, to sin against a fellow brother and sister, causing them to stumble by our actions, we are not living in fellowship with God. We're not walking with God. And when we're not walking with God, we can be led astray. We can cause more damage, even more than we have already caused. And what should we do when we find ourselves in that place? Be quick to ask God to forgive you. Confess your sins. Repent. That means no longer do them. Turn and walk the other way. Receive his forgiveness. Know that he's wiped it clean of your record. And live a life in close fellowship with God. Obeying his commands. And with that... That is the end of our study. So, that makes sense? Mm-hmm. You have some questions? Okay. Well, let's hear your questions. people like will blame God oh God took away my loved one my my child died or my parents died and or my brother died or, or something like that and like God took them away too early right yeah yes absolutely correct yes god did take them away but while our human perspective our earthly perspective is god took them away too early or they were too young or they were a good person so why did they have to die right they loved god a lot they were very um, very loving patient kind people very good-hearted people who loved jesus very much so why did god take them away at an early age or in this tragedy or whatever it is but we're just looking at it with a human point of view, the here and now. But that person, that believer, is with Jesus in paradise. And that's far better than any, even our best day here on earth, right? Our best day here on earth is far, doesn't even compare to our worst day in heaven. So there's no comparison. So that person is in paradise. While we're looking at it from a human point of view, we miss them, which is okay to miss them, right? And you're going to, but when we look at a human point of view that God somehow made a mistake because he took them. No, God doesn't make mistakes ever. And that person is in paradise. And you just don't know. You don't know what the end of the story would have been had they stayed here on earth. So I think the best way I've ever, this ever, the best way I can explain this is my grandma Fonte, who I spent a lot of time with out on the farm. We'd go out there to the farm and then we'd come home at night and she'd have dinner cooked, and he'd spend hours talking to her. He'd spend the rest of the night in the kitchen talking to Grandma. She talked a lot. Um, but one of the times we were talking, so my granddad, when I was, I was pretty little, he had a heart attack. And she told me this story that when he was in the hospital, she pleaded with God and the doctors to save him, right? And they did. He lived, but then she regretted that. mostly because he suffered after that. He had many health issues. So she regretted her decision. And she thought that maybe God should have taken him then. Please don't cry. (laughs) No, 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 no. I hate when you cry. I know. So. It's true though. Yeah. So while she wanted him on earth, she got what she wanted, right? She pleaded with God and the doctors got what she wanted, but then regretted that and thought maybe 
if that was God's original plan, that he would go then, that would have saved him all this suffering for the next, it was probably like 10 years that he lived. So, makes sense? What's next? Um, the next one is um, it kind of talking about stumbling. I didn't know what that really meant. Stumbling would be, you know, there's a rock and you stumble on it and you trip and you fall, right? So you're walking with God and you're walking down the path and now something has caused you to trip and fall and you're no longer walking with God because you've fallen. You're down the ground. God's still walking, you've stopped because something has tripped you up and caused you to stumble. And what Paul is saying is that those things that can cause those rocks that can cause people to stumble can be other believers. It can be other believers that do something that causes this person to trip and stumble. And while he was really concerned at this time with eating meat offered to idols, that's really a lot of what went on. And he talks a lot about that because that was a big concern for them. I'd say in our day and age, it's probably more the and he brings it up, the not drinking wine, um, not causing other believers to stumble. Not that you can't drink. You have this liberty and this right to drink. The Bible makes that clear. But if you do it and someone else who struggles with alcohol now begins, well, that person's a believer and they're drinking, so I should be able to drink too. But maybe that person can't handle it. Every time they drink, it gets out of control. They end up getting drunk well, you've caused that person to stumble. Even though you maybe only have one drink and you're far from being drunk and, and there's perfectly fine in God's eyes, but this other person can't handle it the same way you can. And now they're connecting you being a believer in Jesus to being okay to drink, which it is okay. But now just because of your action, you didn't say anything to him, you didn't even talk to him. You were at a restaurant and they just saw you because of your action. Paul's saying you've caused them to stumble and fall. Does that make sense? It does. Just why, like, we did it, but we didn't. Like, we didn't intend on it. Agreed. Agreed. That's not the intention. And, and you weren't intending to cause this person to stumble. Like, you didn't go up to that person and hand them a drink and say, oh, here, have a drink. You didn't encourage them that way. But Paul saying it's the same. You still encourage them and stumble them, and you're still in sin because they saw you. And you, and then the argument is, well, I should have the right to, right? The Bible says doesn't say I can't drink. You're right. You have that right and freedom to. But what Paul's saying is, are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to give up this freedom, this so-called freedom you have, this liberty you have? Are you willing to give that up to serve others, to put their needs ahead of your own? And really, are you willing to be obedient to Jesus, to serve him, to love others, to put other people's needs ahead of your own? That's really what he's asking and what Jesus is saying. And alcohol is not the only way people cause the stomach. There's no, there's many ways. Many. And I think, well, for me, what comes to mind is um, uh, sometimes foundationally, I'm young, but sexual sin has become pretty common too. You'll have a believer. Yeah. So there's a there's a lot. Of, yeah, I don't know. I'm not good with my words, but it's not just that. It's it's if somebody sees you doing it and they say, oh, well, they're doing it and they're a believer, it must be okay. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's that one, That one's a little different because that one you are living in sin. You are. And Paul, the difference here with what Paul's saying is there's freedoms you have where you're not living in sin by doing this action. But if you cause others to stumble. Now, if you're living in sin, that's totally different. There's no, there's no difference there. If God's told you not to have sex before marriage, and you do, and that causes others to stumble because you claim to be a Christian, but you're living in this, this, this legitimate sin, well, yeah, you can cause people to stumble that way too. And that, yeah, we should never live in sin because you will always cause others to stumble by what you do. But what Paul's saying is that there's certain freedoms you have you have the freedom to drink. The Bible makes that clear. You can drink. But if you do it and another person sees you do it and that causes them to stumble, then you are in sin, right? And that's what he's saying. Are you willing to give up your freedoms, your liberties, to put Jesus first and to serve others? Are you willing to do that? That's what he's saying.
And then the next step is it's even, you know, maybe you don't even know. Maybe you're just at a restaurant and, and you have a drink and that, and someone just sees you that doesn't ever talk to you, but knows you, knows you're a Christian and just saw you at that restaurant, right? So, so that's what, that's more of what Paul's saying. Well, what Paul is really saying is it's better off not to drink. And this goes back to the whole uh, no stumbling policy, like what Dave had in, in Castle Rock. Yeah, we have no stumbling policy. You have the right to drink, but you probably should do it in your home if you feel safe, away from everyone else. And that if you're out in public, you probably should not. And that's what Paul's saying here. And that's not a very popular teaching because nobody wants to well, I should have this right, I should have this freedom, I should be able to go to the Rockies game and have a beer. I should. Yes, you should, and you can. You have that freedom, but you're taking a big risk of causing another person to stumble. And if the off chance that some person sees you that happens to know you at that Rockies game, you know, are you willing to take that chance? Or is Jesus more important to you that I'd rather be that light and witness, even on the off chance that one person might see me? Yes. Or just look around the restaurant and see if I Yeah. You're playing with fire, though. You just don't know. So, it's better, like the eating the meat in the temple, it's better not to go eat the meat in the temple. Eating meat? Well, that was something that they struggled with back then. The best way I can relate it now was this drinking thing. You know, that's probably more of a struggle now for us than this eating meat that was offered to idols. I love <laughs> There's nothing wrong with eating meat. That's not an issue. That was an issue for them. There's nothing wrong with a drink either. Because what they do is they'd offer this meat to idols. They'd sacrifice this cow to this fake god. And now this cow's been sacrificed to this fake god. And if you eat that meat, some people back then had a problem with it. Because, oh, well, you offered a cow to some fake God that doesn't even exist, that meat is no different than any other meat in the marketplace. It's still the same meat. The cow grew up in the same pasture as all the other cows. It's fine to eat. That's what Paul's saying. You have this freedom to eat it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if by eating it you cause another person to stumble because now they go back to worshiping this false God because they think it's okay. They, they try and compromise a little bit in their walk with God and now it's spiraled out of control. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Do you have any other questions? Okay. No? That was it? Okay. Well, let's pray. Does anybody else have any other questions? Let's pray. Can we have steak? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can have steak. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to learn about you, your will, your ways, um, and just who you are, your character, how you lead us and you guide us. And I ask that you would give us each a heart to follow you, that we'd follow you wholeheartedly with everything we are, all that we do, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us, that you would um, just guide us, that you would give us the strength to follow the convictions you've laid on our heart, that we should live our lives the way you've called us to live. I ask you would strengthen us and give us that faith. I ask you would watch over Pam and Scott, that you would bring comfort and healing to them, that you would guide the doctors in their treatment plan. You would watch over Aniston, you would just take away the pain from after her surgery. Um, and you would guide the doctors in moving forward with her. You would watch over the coffee family. That you would grant them patience and peace and wisdom and forgiveness. Um, you would watch over Kathy and Susan. You would give the doctors wisdom. And you would bring healing to them um, and guide the doctors for a treatment plan. You would bring healing to Matt's knees. You would bring healing to Joey's knee. Um, and you would bring healing to Christina's heart, that you would guide the doctors in their treatment plan, that you would bring healing to Bonnie, that you would guide doctors in their treatment plan, that you would just guide all those who are going through the PTSD and the EMDR counseling, that you would grant them patience um, that can only come from you, Lord, patience to endure through the counseling process, to see it to the end, um, and that you bring healing to them. You give strength to Ming this week, and you would guide him that you would encourage us in friendship and fellowship with each other, that we would be encouraged 
to do more good deeds, just by ironing, sharpening iron. That you would speak, give us the right words to speak this week. You would watch over the sheriff's department, the police department. That you protect them, keep them safe physically, but keep them safe spiritually. You would guide us to support a church somewhere that you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. 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 Amen.